continue a study that we began last week called The Exit. And the reason for that is because Exodus means exit. And we've subtitled this series, uh, Journey to Freedom, because that's what it's about. Uh, there's an awful lot that happens in the book of Exodus, and, and uh, you could study, uh, you know, you could study Exodus till the cows come home. I mean, it's really, there's tons of stuff in here. But at its root, at its base, at, its, at the core of what Exodus is, it's, a, a, it's God setting people free. God setting people free. And last week when we introduced this study, I talked to you about how uh, that's true. That was not only true for peop the people of Israel who were enslaved to Egypt, but it's for all of us who find ourselves stuck in su repetitive cycles of bondage. And God wants to see all of us into freedom. He wants to lead all of us into freedom. Now, as we come to uh, chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to be dealing with the subject of becoming a deliverer. But before I go any further, let me ask you a kind of a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer it except to yourself. Ready? What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, that gets asked over and over as, a, as you're making your way uh, through childhood, teen, their teen years, and into uh, even beyond that. And... Uh, it, it's actually appropriate for you and at whatever state of, of life you're in right now, whether you're a senior in high school wrestling with what am I going to do with myself after graduation or uh, anywhere in between. And the reason I said it that way is because we're familiar with that, that question, but it, what it really goes to the heart of is who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? I believe that the Lord makes it clear throughout his word that his intentions for each of us is that we would discover what it means to be deliverers. Not just the delivered. Thank God for that. In fact, that'd be a good place for a hallelujah or something. Hallelujah. Thank God. I want to be delivered. But I know that God delivers us so that we can become deliverers. That's his ultimate intention. And I'm grateful that at the beginning of this book that's all about God's delivering work and his people, that he gives us in a very compressed period of about three chapters the, de the development of a man who becomes a deliverer because that's, the, that's what he intends for all of his people as they move through deliverance that they become deliverers. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a deliverer. I want people who come in contact with my life to encounter the God who sets them free. Now, yeah, look, we're all in the, in the process of being, those of us who are followers of Christ today, all of us are in a process of becoming freed. And uh, I, I don't want anyone to think uh, that I, I am any, anything other than a person in process. But neither are you. You know, we are just in a process of... But we, there is a tipping point where the momentum of what God is doing in my life and yours reaches a point where we start to not be focused solely on what God needs to do in my life, but now I want to 
begin to make myself available to what God could do in someone else's life through me. And that's where the real excitement begins. That's when life really becomes what God intended for it to be. And so as we look at Moses and his development at, from, from, first of all, uh, an adopted son of Pharaoh, the uh, most powerful man in the world at the time, to a shepherd uh, in, uh, living among the Midianites out in the desert, to becoming the person who will lead the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt into their promised land. The development of this man's life so that he was available to do that is worth studying today. Not just because it's interesting history, not just because it's a good story, but because it's something God wants to kind of repeat in your life and mine. So you ready? Yeah. All right. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. I've already said a little bit about this, but we are skipping chapter 2, which introduces us to Moses and to his backstory of how he ends up here now, uh, married to a Midianite woman, living in the desert, a simple shepherd taking care of his father-in-law's flocks after having been uh, a prince in Egypt. And so we're just going to let, we're going to bypass all of that story and just uh, assume we understand that that's where he is and that's where he came from. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. The first thing that we encounter here about Moses' development that May, will make it possible for him to be a, a deliverer <clears throat> is that he made himself available. He was responsive to the Lord's subtle promptings. This was not a bonfire. This was a bush that was burning. And that, I mean, uh, you know, I guess it could seem a little unusual and it probably was somewhat, but not entirely. Um, it re actually is a phenomenon that's well documented that plants can uh, uh, self-combust. They can, um, they can uh, explode into flame. In fact, when I was doing some research about the science behind this, I actually found a YouTube video that someone took of a palm tree in Southern California while they're taking the picture, ignites in flame, just spontaneously combusts. It's not unheard of. So in a dry desert climate, a lot of things can cause it. Uh, one would be, you know, rock sliding, uh, creating a spark that would ignite dry, a dry bush. There's a lot of reasons why this would happen. It wasn't that unusual is what I'm trying to say. And, but it caught Moses' attention mainly because it was burning but not being consumed. Now, it would have been easy for him just to pass it on by. You know, look, I got sheep to care for here, you know, uh, I don't have time for this. But becoming a deliverer means you start paying attention to those little things. You allow your heart to become tenderized to the subtle promptings of the Lord. One time uh, years ago when Sue and I were leading a microchurch, this wasn't here, this was when we were living in, in Santa Cruz, 
If you've been a part of one of our microchurches, you know that uh, you reach a point where in the evening where we pray for one another. That's, I love that because I have an appointment every week with a group of people who will pray for me. You know, and sometimes I need it, sometimes most of the time I need it, but you know, even if I don't, I have that appointment. You know, I love that. So we got to that point of the evening, and we did what we do in, in our microchurches. We just went around and said, does anybody need prayer? And if, if so, what do you need prayer for? And there was a woman there. It was her first time. I didn't know her uh, or anything about her. And she says, yeah, I'd like you to pray for me. She was a single woman. She said, my parents are coming to visit, and I'm just tied up in knots about it. I'm so anxious. I'm so filled with fear and anxiety about it. I can't sleep. I'm just a wreck. So we said, okay, we'll pray about it. Who else wants prayer? You know, and we just went around the room, collected the prayer requests. And here's what we normally do. As, as sincere as we might be, here's what we would normally pray. Dear God, we pray for our sister Susie that you will relieve her anxiety and I pray that her parents will be, uh, you know, a blessing to her, something like that. And then we move on to the next prayer request. Isn't that kind of how it goes? Yes? No? Yeah, okay. This time before I got my, got the words out of my mouth, it was going to be a sincere prayer. I, you know, kind of generic, but very sincere but before I could get those words out of my mouth, this man's name pops into my mind. And I don't remember what it was, but it was a common uh, American name, like John or Jim or Joe or something like that. Boom, there it was in my mind. And it would, be, it would have been so easy just to say, what? what was that? And just move on, right? And we do that a lot. Except this time it was like Moses for me. It was like, Something a little different going on here. And I decided to go with it. So I said to her, I said, you may think I'm crazy, but does the name Joe mean anything to you? And she says, oh, yeah. Oh, really? What? She says, well, that's the name of the boyfriend that I had during the season of my life when my parents kicked me out of the house and brought him in to live with them as a son. And now... Now we know something of the whole backstory here, and there's a whole deeper issue of stuff that we can pray about and help this woman with that wouldn't have been covered with God. Just relieve her anxiety, and may, may her parents have a time, good time here. There's lots of things like that that God could do, would want to do, would use us in if we would be just a little more available, just a little more sensitive to those subtle promptings of the Lord. I, one friend I had said, you know, I want my heart to be like a, you know, those scales that, that you, you know, nobody uses them anymore, but, you know, have two pans and they, have, there's a fulcrum in the middle and they, you put weight on one side and, and, and that you know the, the, the measure of and then you put something else on there and you, when it balances, you know that this weighs this much, right? He said, I want my heart to be like a scale where it's so sensitive that a grain of sand on one side would send it, you know, down. That I want my heart to just be responsive to the Lord in that way, that, that, that it wouldn't take much, but a, a, just a, a simple touch, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm in motion, I'm responding. Responding to the Lord's subtle promptings is what gives life direction. And how many of you know that our lives, most of the time, are not lived under assignment? They're kind of directionless. Other people provide the direction. 
other institutions, your boss, your spouse, your kids, their schedule, other things provide the direction for most of our lives. When we become responsive to the Lord, available to him, that situation starts to change. And we begin to be directed by something much more important. And life becomes much richer and people get help. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, and I'm, I'm skipping the, what you already know, where, where God says to Moses at the burning bush, look, uh, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to send you to lead them out of slavery. And now he's reacting to that, verse, four, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And you can imagine that. He shows up and he says, God spoke to me and he's going to do thus and so. And you can imagine their skepticism and so can he. And so he's saying, God, what are my credentials? What in the world is going to give me the authority to speak for you? Why in the world would they have anything to do with what I'm going to say? How are they going to believe me? What are my credentials? Verse 2. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? It's very incongruous here, or incongruent, what happens. He asks this question very seriously, very intensely. What are my credentials? Why would they believe me? How is it they would have anything to do with what I said? And God's answer was, what's, he answered with another question, what's in your hand? And you can imagine Moses, wait a minute, I'm talking to you about something really serious here, and you're asking, what's in my, what do you mean by that? I'm looking to you for credentials here. What gives me authority? God's, what's in your hand? And he, he goes, well, <laughs> it's a rod. What do you mean? It's a stick. And then God says, all right, verse 3, cast it on the ground. okay. And he throws it down. And you guys know the story. It becomes a serpent. And the Lord says to him, you know, this is going to be a sign you'll use. So when you go to the children of Israel, you'll do that. And they'll say, oh, okay, well, you must be somebody. And you'll do that to Pharaoh, same thing. But there's more going on than just that here. And I'll explain why I believe that in a minute. Because, but, but let me just say that I believe that just the act of him casting down or laying down that stick had profound implications for Moses. Profound implication for Moses and those that he would serve. Because what did that stick represent? What was it he was letting go of? What was it that he was laying down? Well, it was his shepherd's staff. It was his identity. When you saw him with the stick, you knew who he was. And most of us, we think of who we are by what we do. We, we define who we are by what we do. Don't we? I, this morning I stopped by to get my, my Frappuccino on the way here. And by, it's Frappuccino light. Okay, so <laughs> anyway, I get, stopped to get my Frappuccino on the way in here. I, rain or shine, they see me coming. They, anyway, I'm, so I, the, in the briefs, I'm talking to him uh, for a minute. And he says, so where are you going? You going to work? And I, he's new there, so he doesn't, he doesn't know I'm the preacher guy. But yet, now he does. He said, are you going to work? And I said, yeah, I'm going to work. He said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a minister. So I'm, I'm going to church. Oh, 
And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but um, that's how we introduce ourselves, don't we? By what we do, right? Well, I'm, I'm a this, or I'm a that. I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a plumber, I'm an IT professional, you know, that's... So what we do is how we think of who we are. And God doesn't think that way, by the way. But for, for, for Moses, that, that stick represented his identity. This is who I am. I'm a shepherd. Everywhere I go, it's clear to everybody who I am and what I do. It was also his security. Think about it. This is how, this was one of the two tools of his trade. He had a, a staff and a rod. That's, shepherds in those days, they, those two tools, they used them for different things. But it was how he made a living. It was how he fed his family. It was, it was his security. And it was the way that he protected himself and his sheep from predators when they were out, on the, out in the desert. It was, so it was security in that it was provision and protection. All wrapped up in this stick. So in answer to the question, what are my credentials? The Lord says, what's in your hand? Lay it down. Becoming a deliverer means that you're willing to surrender to God and let go of the things you cling tightly to. What is it today? It might be your career, your sense of identity that you derive from that. It might be something else, but whatever it is that you're holding so tightly to, let me tell you what Jesus said. He said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. It'll slip through your fingers. If you give your life for my sake, that's when you find it. That's when you find it. When we let go of those things that we cling to, when we're willing to lay down our sense of who we are, our identity, our security, we discover something. We discover authority. It's not what you bring to the table. It's not your skill set. It's not your talent that accomplishes anything for the kingdom of God. It's what you've laid down, not what you possess. It's what you've given up. You think about the people that you know have true spiritual authority. You can't probably define it very well, but you know who they are. When I just said that right now, you know who those people are in your life. I tell you, the reason you think that of them is not because of anything they bring to bear. It's because of what they've laid down. It's what they've surrendered to God. And here's why I think that is so important. Verse 20, same chapter. Now, you know, Moses has stopped arguing with God and he's, he's packing up the family. They're heading towards Egypt. Verse 20, Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt and Moses took the, what? Uh, rod of God. He took the rod of God in his hand. A transformation has taken place. Something that used to be a shepherd's staff is now the rod of God. It will be the thing that he holds over the Red Sea and the waters part. It will be the thing that he strikes a rock when they're in the desert and dying of thirst and water gushes out to quench the thirst of the people and their, and their animals. Over and over again, this thing that once was just a symbol of his, his identity once laid down, once surrendered, once given up, God has made something completely different 
out of it. Something very, very powerful. You got white knuckles about any, anything in your life? Is there just something you would never let go of? I remember years ago, uh, Sue and I, when we were, again, we were living in Santa Cruz. We had just gotten there. We were there to prepare to plant a new church. It was going to be about a two-year process. And in the meantime, I was unemployed. And for the first time in way over a decade, I was not the pastor of a church. And uh, so we, we went, we crossed over the Santa Cruz Mountains down into San Jose, went to a big mall there. And uh, Sue went and did her thing at the mall. <laughs> and I found a bench, you know. And so I sat down and I noticed that there was a, a, um, a voter registration table set up. And we had just moved, so every time you move, you got to re-register to vote. So I thought, oh, okay, well, this will give me something to do while she's shopping or whatever it is she's doing. And I went over there and got a form and a pen. I sat down. I'm doing okay till I get to the box that says occupation. And I literally sat there and stared at that box for a half an hour. I didn't know what to put in there. I didn't realize how, how much my sense of self was tied up in that title, clergy, pastor. And now I wasn't that. And I didn't have anything else to stick in that box. And boy, that was an eye-opener for me. And I had to learn something. The Lord scheduled an appointment for me to learn what it was to simply be a child of God. That's it. End of story. That's who I am. I do other things, but that's all that matters. And every other thing, those things you told, hold so tightly to. You know, I get picked on around here by people my staff included because I, I, I ask that they don't refer to me as Pastor Randy. They still do it. <laughs> and a lot of you do it. You don't have to feel bad about it. I'm not going to fine you. I've, told, I've decided I'm not going to. It is what it is, and I'm okay with it. But part of where that comes from is this. I, that used to be too important to me. That was just, you know... I'd hear that and I'd go, yes. And the Lord had to help me to understand that's nothing. That's meaningless. You are my child. That's what matters. That's the only thing that matters. And when I found a lot of freedom when I took that thing and just laid it down, and I know that the result has been other people finding freedom as well, because of what it unleashes in God's ability to use me without that in the way. Anyway, I didn't mean to go so long with that. Chapter uh, 4, verse 24. Now, they're on their way to Egypt, and uh, here we go. Verse 24. It came to pass on the way at the encampment, so they've stopped for the night, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Now, that's an interesting turn of events, wouldn't you say? Then Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you're a husband of blood to me. So he, God, let him, Moses, go 
Then she said, you're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. I, can I tell you, I don't like these verses very much. I kind of wish they weren't in the Bible. But they're there because they're important. They're, it's important. Um, if I'm going to be someone God can use in delivering others, I need to be a person who becomes obedient to his voice. I need to do what he says. And that means I got to deal with my compromise and cowardice. And that's what God is confronting Moses with here. Think of it. Moses is going to be, he's on his way to becoming the man who will bring the Ten Commandments to the people of God. At this point, the Jews have one commandment. Circumcise your sons. One. And he hasn't even done that. How in the world will he have any place to be used by God to be the bearer of the Ten Commandments? This has to be taken care of. And God presses him to the wall and says, Moses, this is the end of the road. If we don't take care of this, there is no future for you. We cannot continue one more step until you obey. And you know that this has already been a serious issue between uh, Moses and Zipporah because when God confronts him Zipporah knows exactly what to do and she is not happy about it you're a husband of blood to me so they've had this conversation and you know Zipporah has said you're going to do what to my sons think again and in his cowardice he's back down I know what that's like to be so concerned with what someone else might think that I don't obey God. Maybe you do too. That's where Moses finds himself. He's taking the cowardly approach. And he's also compromised. You know how this works. He says to himself, yeah, yeah, well, but I know we're supposed to do this, but, you know, I live among the Midianites. They don't have this same requirement from God. I'm married to a Midianite. How would she understand? Surely God's going to give me a break on this. We, we can convince ourselves of anything. We can make anything seem right to ourselves if we want to. And Moses has done that. He's figured out a way to um, give himself permission to disobey God. Um, if that's the pattern of your life, can I tell you, there's coming a day when the Lord's going to have to get in your face and say, there is no, I'm not, don't get me wrong, he's not going to come and say, this is the end of your life. Okay. But there ones, there's going to come a day when you, when you sign up to be someone who is a follower of Christ, a deliverer of, that you could, he could use to deliver other people, there's going to come a day when he says, we can't go any farther until you obey what I've said. Obedience. Simple obedience. And what happens when we obey? Something really powerful. We receive integrity. We receive integrity. Psalm 78, 72 says of David, he shepherded them or he led them according to the integrity of, heart, of his heart. Integrity is the thing that's, that says, I'm the same person inside out, upside and down, through and through. I am one integrated whole. And so everything about my life 
is in pursuit of God. That integrity is only found in obedience, but it is the thing that um, will allow you to be someone others can follow. Last thing, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Heck no, who is this Lord? I, I put the heck no part in there. Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. No, will I let Israel go? And then he goes on and says, by the way, you guys must just have too much time on your hands. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it harder for you. So now you have to make as many bricks as you've already been. You have to build the same amount of construction as you've already, the quota you already have. But you're going to have to go find your own straw, the binding material for the for the bricks that you make. You're going to have to do that on yourself. How do you like them apples? I threw that part in too. <laughs> so now things are on, a, on a, 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 an issue of magnitude uh, greater than, than you know, difficulty uh, than, than they have been. Moses is now enemy number one to the people of Israel. And verse 20, it says they came out from Pharaoh or excuse me, then as they came out from Pharaoh, they, the children of Israel, met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you've made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're not happy. Now don't you imagine that Moses on his way to Egypt probably had a different idea of how this was going to turn out going on in his mind? I'll bet he thought, you know, I'm going to show up there. I'm going to throw the stick down. It becomes a serpent. Pharaoh's going to go, ooh. And, and I'm going to say, uh, you know, let my people go. And he's going to say, yes, go and all that. Don't you imagine that's kind of how he thought it was going to go? It didn't. You ever had that happen? Where you painted a picture in your mind of however things were going to go and it didn't? What follows in the wake of that? Disappointment. Disappointment. And Moses is staring in the face of that and he prays a prayer right now that I probably have prayed verbatim at times. And listen to how many times he uses the word you. So Moses returns to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why, <clears throat> why have you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. I've prayed that prayer. But if we want to become people who God can use to deliver others, we're going to need to become people who persevere in the face of disappointment. God gets no pleasure out of it, but he has to sometimes allow what we've imagined things to become to fall apart because it gets in the way of us being able to serve him in the things he really wants to do. We think we've got it all figured out. Thanks, God, I'll take it from here. And the Lord says, no, you don't. And sometimes he has to let us fall on our face, not because it makes him happy, but because it's the only way for us to turn to him. And even in times when we're ticked off and screaming at God, something is happening that is redirecting and reorienting our thinking from what we thought it should be 
to what his plans were and listen to what God says to him now. Verse 1, chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do. You took your shot. You tried to live out the scheme that you had. Yeah, there were elements of it that were in keeping with my, my directions to you, but you kind of embellished it a bit, and now it's got, you know, got you into trouble. But hold the phone. Watch what I'm going to do. Perhaps you are today in a situation where things have exploded. Things, you know, all the, the dreams and plans that you have are laying in pieces on the floor. God is not insensitive to your, the state of your heart right now. Neither am I. But hold the phone. I believe God would say to you what he said to Moses on that day. All right, watch what I'm going to do. And then the rest of the book of Exodus takes flight. And so it's from this place where persevering in the face of disappointment brought about breakthrough. The Lord, in verse uh, in 2 Samuel 5.20, David says, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Oh, to be on the front row seat watching what God does, there is nothing like that. Nothing like that. To be able to be an eyewitness to the maker of the universe Moving in the lives of other people is a treasure beyond words. I invite you to be, to allow the Lord to prepare your heart as He did Moses through availability, surrender, obedience, and perseverance. This is recording number 11144 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 8, 2015. This is the second message in a series titled, The Exit. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Becoming a Deliverer. 